Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Like I said, we'll uh, be in 1 Kings chapter 3. Uh, we find ourselves in the middle of a, a section in chapter 3. Chapter 3 is really one whole um, section that we find as Solomon begins. We get the uh, start of his ministry, or, or um, you might say his reign there, but we find ourselves in the middle in verse uh, 10 is where we left off last uh, week. And uh, Solomon had fallen asleep. The Lord had appeared to him and asked him one really simple question, what shall I give you? And uh, his request uh, was short, but you might say it was definitely not a simple request, what Solomon asked of the Lord to be able to give him in verse 9. Solomon turned and said, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this great people? As you remember last week that uh, Solomon is seeing the glorious promises of Abraham and, and also to Jacob now fulfilled in, in him from a handful of people, a family of uh, one or two of Sarai and Abraham and maybe Lot, uh, growing to this great and numerous people. But uh, we didn't mention this last week, basically just because uh, trying not to extend too much on time. But here the Hebrew of what he asked for specifically was to, to ask for a listening heart to govern your people. A listening heart to govern your people. Um, and I think that's quite important to be able to th- think about when we think about what wisdom is. Wisdom comes from God. And uh, therefore, wisdom, true wisdom, is how we listen to God and how we apply then God's word to our life. But it's a prayer that we know that God will answer. We know, as we've got all of Scripture, as James says, if anyone, any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, for he gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Uh, this is a prayer that uh, Solomon asked for. I need wisdom. I need wisdom. I, I need a listening heart to be able to govern your people. And uh, we find out that this request uh, pleased the Lord, that Solomon had asked this in verse 10. Now we see uh, the response actually from the Lord, not only his, uh, his response of it pleasing him, but also what God responds and speaks to Solomon in verses 11 to 14. And God said to him, because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I will give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Uh, Here the Lord says, because you have not asked for long life, riches, and the life of your enemies, but he has asked for a good good thing that the Lord has uh, said uh, pleased him, You've asked for yourself, understanding to discern what is right. 
And he responds and says, you've asked and I will give it to you. I'll give, give you according to what you have asked. We know that's what James says in James 1, but here it is. We see that fulfillment here in answer to prayer uh, from uh, the Lord to Solomon. He says, Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind. And this, uh, this phrase here is uh, very specific, wise and discerning. Uh, you see it speaking of great leaders, that a good leader is someone who is wise and discerning. Genesis uh, 41, when Joseph is there and Pharaoh turns to Joseph and says, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. The qualification that Joseph puts forward and says, Here's what you're looking for in the man who's going to oversee this project. He needs to be wise and discerning. And Pharaoh is able to be able to see that he is wise and discerning. And, And we even saw this in David, that David saw something in Solomon that he saw that he was wise, as David gave his last words and instruction, he, he handed it over and says, do what you know is right because you, uh, because you are a wise young man. We also see it in Deuteronomy chapter 1 as well in verses 9 to 13. And at that time I said to you, you will not able to bear you myself. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. Again, we see that connection, the growth of someone Uh, The growth of God's people requires more knowledge, more wisdom, more uh, leaders, you might say, to be able to help them. May the Lord your God of your fathers make you a thousand times as many as you are and bless you as he has promised you. How can I bear myself the weight and burden of you and your strife? Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. So here we have... Uh, we see that what, we, what is needed for leaders is to be wise and understanding. And uh, it's not, I don't have it up on here. It just uh, came to my head because we're going to be looking at it on uh, Sunday morning. But what do the leaders of the apostles say when they're appointing the, the seven deacons? What do they say are the qualifications? There's three qualifications there, they say in Acts chapter 7. They're to be of good repute. They're to be full of the Holy Spirit, and they're to be full of wisdom as well. So you see those three qualifications there, and here that wise and understanding, someone who is listening to God, again, someone who is underneath God and His instruction. But not only that uh, the leaders are going to be wise and understanding, it also will flow through that the nation, because of the leaders being wise and understanding, will then flow, and they will be known as a wise and understanding nation. We see this in Deuteronomy 4. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God of your fathers is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did, uh, Lord did at Baal Peor, that the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal Peor. Baal of Pure, but you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I've taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, and you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding 
people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? What a great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that is set before you. So here, they're going to go into their nation, and what are they going to be known for by other nations? They're going to say, look at their wisdom, and how does he describe this wisdom? He says, the wisdom is twofold in verse 7, is that there's a God that is so near to them as the Lord is to them, that he call, they call upon him, he answers. So again, calling and listening. But the other thing, the great nation is there, the statutes and rule are so righteous as well. So wise and understanding thing all fits underneath God, who he is, how close he is to them, but also how he has given them a law to be able to follow. Now here's a theory that I think that some might have put forward. Is that you see in chapter 3, Solomon asked for wisdom. You see the answer to that prayer is we'll get to in verse 16 and how that works out in his choices. Now, some might argue then that anything prior to this is acted not in Solomon's wisdom underneath him listening to the Lord, but how he handled Joab, Shimei, and Adonijah was not then wise, and so too not making a marriage alliance with uh, with Pharaoh is also not wise as well. So anything prior to this is not wise. Now, I think that is a possible, it's, a, it's an argument I think that is, is well worth looking into, but I do think that then you must assume that everything that Solomon does after this is somewhat wise and w- there's wisdom to it. But you also see that he does foolish things in the future. So to, to say that there's a, a divide here, I think there's an argument there to be had, but I think there, you can't t- put too much weight saying from this moment on all things he does are wise. Um, But we also must then comprehend that this is the promise from God that gives God all the glory. It's God's wisdom that he gives to Solomon, not Solomon himself being wise. And that God uses this for two main reasons that we will see. Solomon asked for wisdom and understanding to be able to lead his people, to be able to govern his people. And what we will see in the coming chapters in this section from Solomon first beginning to be king, to about chapter 10 when he uh, ceases to be king. But what we see is nations come from all around to be able to behold this wisdom. That even within Israel, there's people that come and behold this wisdom as well. So he's, he's then somewhat evangelistic, you might say, in his, his wisdom that others come and hear about his wisdom. And when they think about his wisdom, they're going to think about God. But I think the second and most important part is that The wisdom comes to Solomon because he has a great task ahead of him that we've seen early in this chapter. There's something lacking in the nation of Israel. There's something lacking, and that's the house of the Lord, for the Lord to be able to dwell with his people. The Lord dwelling near his people is an essential part of what that understanding and wisdom is that we learn of in Deuteronomy chapter 4. That God has set apart this people to be their God and them to be his people God has set them apart to be able to worship him. As we have read in Deuteronomy chapter 12, 
when the Lord promises, but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out and all your tribes to put his name and to make his habitation there. There you shall go and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and your contribution that you present, your vow offerings, your free will offerings and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God and you shall rejoice in you and your households in all that you undertake in which the Lord your God has blessed you. So here it's a specific thing that here will come a very vital place for the heart of the nation of Israel, that God would be there in amongst his people, that there they will come to worship him, there they would come to be able to uh, make atonement for their sins, there they would be able to come to be able to have feasts and rejoice in what the Lord has done, um, how the Lord has blessed them. And so he needs wisdom to be able to undertake this large task. So these two things, I think, as we'll see, is how we see this wisdom played out in the coming chapters. Now, we do see that, uh, now, we might get mad at God sometimes or upset and not answering our prayer. And here we see that God answers Solomon's request, but he also adds to his request. So sometimes we don't get what we want, but sometimes God not only gives us what we ask for, but also something that we didn't ask for. And it's an interesting thing to ponder, but uh, maybe an impossible thing to be able to stand. There, understand, there's no real formula for prayer. So here Solomon asked for wisdom, and the Lord says, well, I'm not, you didn't ask for all these three things, but I'm going to give you wisdom. I'm also going to give you these other things as well. So then we can't then go in thinking that we're going to get wisdom uh, health or anything like that, then go ask for wisdom, hoping that the Lord would give us these things. God doesn't work like that. God blesses Solomon because it is set apart for this task, because it is God's will to be able to bless Solomon at this point. Because we're told in, in Matthew chapter 6, when the Lord teaches us about prayer and how we are to live, he says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor what about your body or what you will put on, is not life more than food and body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet the Heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not more valuable than, are you more, not more valuable than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And about your anxious why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow and how they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? But the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need all of them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day for its own trouble. So here he says, the Gentiles go and try and follow after all these things, and, but yet the Lord is the one who gives all these things. So again, here Solomon is the example that Solomon in all of his glory is nothing compared to even the lilies of the field. The Lord provides for them. They're here today and gone tomorrow. And yet Solomon is merely just blessed because the Lord has given them, them these things. 
But also you see there in verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So you might say then that because Solomon asked for God's kingdom and the righteousness of his kingdom, asking for wisdom to be able to govern this great and glorious people, that this is why the Lord has added to all these things. Now, again, I think that can be a, a dangerous thing to be able to say, here, we've figured it out. We've figured out how we can, you know, have wealth, health, and happiness and uh, all these things. But the, the main focus is that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. His, that is the focus of what we are called to do. And we find ourselves content in whatever situation we have. Like Paul says, that he finds himself, whether rich or poor, he's content in all circumstances. But this is what the Lord says, that he would give uh, to you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare to you all your days. That here the Lord blesses Solomon uh, because of his ask with wisdom, but also additional things that he did not ask for. We see Solomon get this. We see a fulfillment of this in Solomon's life. One of these verses is found towards the end of his reign in verse uh, 23 of chapter 10. Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. So we see the Lord fulfill this promise given to Solomon. Now that's not always a good thing. Solomon uh, has very many has many weaknesses in his life. And you might say this is something that was not helpful for him. But uh, yet he still uh, receives those, that God gives these good and perfect gifts, and yet our sinful hearts can twist and distort those, sinful, uh, those good and perfect gifts into sinful things. But then he says, and if you walk, in verse 14, if you walk in the ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So here he says that, you will get these two other things, riches and uh, honor. But this third one, the, the long life, he says, if you walk in my ways. That here you might say this one is conditional. The others are blessings from God, and this one would be a blessing from God. But yet, it is, the rest is based on God's goodness towards Solomon. And yet here we have this, this goodness put upon him, but there is a condition that if you walk in my ways, then you will have long life. Now again, as we're thinking about Solomon, we're also thinking about Solomon's book that he has written. And he writes in Solomon and, and Proverbs chapter 3, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on a tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. So I think it's a, in a you see uh, here even he records it as he's passing this instruction on. You know, don't forget my teaching and let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you or even in Psalm 91. Because you hold fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him, because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. And long life, with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So, 
this is what Solomon had asked for, and this is how the Lord has responded to Solomon. But we also then get uh, a, a special story within Second First uh, Kings chapter three, which then gives us an example of this wisdom at work in the life of Solomon. And we see here, uh, from verse sixteen to the end of the chapter, this example of uh, Solomon's life and how he responds with this wisdom, with this situation. Now, a part of a king's role was also to be a judge. And we see this as we walk through 1 Samuel, that they went from the office of a judge, which Eli, the last judge, or you might say uh, um, Samuel, was really the last judge. But the, the judge was then replaced by the king in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8. And then the king was then to rule on cases that were brought to him. And that's what we see in 2 Samuel chapter 12. The Lord sends Nathan to David and Nathan comes to him and says, There's two men in the city, one rich and one poor. And the, two rich man ha- the rich man had many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing with one little ewe lamb, which he had brought. And he brought it up and he grew it with his children. And he, it used to eat his morsel and drink his, from his cup and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So here's a case, and it comes before David. And Nathan is like, here's a case that uh, you, know, you need to judge on. And, judge, and, and he does. David passes a judgment. As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing, because he had no pity. So here he he passes judgment. This man deserves to die. He needs to pay back uh, four lambs. Um, He did this thing, and he did it with no pity. Uh, Remember, even in chapter 14 with Absalom, Absalom would go out with his chariot, with his 50 horsemen before him, and he would go and, and he would question and, and bring out, well, if I was to judge, then I, you would have a more favorable judge. Maybe you would have someone who would listen to you. And so we find this is what happens now in chapter 3. Solomon has brought a case for him to be able to judge. And we see how this wisdom is before him. I'm going to read the whole passage here up to verse 27, and then we'll look at it. So uh, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse uh, 13 to 27. Then the two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One woman said, O my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth, and we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house, only there were two in the house, and this woman's son died in the night, and she laid on him, because she laid on him, lay on him. And she arose in, at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept, and laid him at her breast, and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But then, uh, but when I looked at him closely in the morning, because, because he was not the child that I had borne, but the other woman said, No, the living child is mine, and the dead child is yours. The first said, No, the dead child is yours, and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. 
Then the king said, The one says, This is my son that is alive, and your son is dead. And the other says, No, your, your son is dead, and my son is the living one. And there the king said, Bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king. And the king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, O oh my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means put him to death. But the other said, He shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman, and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. So here we see um, a, a real-life situation, and it's uh, good to be able to read passages of Scripture like this and to be able to see that uh, they deal with a lot of the same problems that I deal with as a parent. Now, uh, they maybe had servants to help with the cooking and the cleaning but uh, and maybe picking things up, but here you have a, a real-life situation. What they have is mine. No, it's mine. And back and forth, this is what you have. You, you have two women who have two babies. One child dies, and the other woman, uh, the person with the dead child, swaps the child out, and then they come to Solomon with this case. And his solution is really quite simple. Well, you can't decide, so let me cut the child in two, and you get one, you get half, and you get the other half. Now again... We see this is only wisdom because it is the right thing to say at this particular moment. If we take this model and then apply this situation to our life, it does not necessarily mean we would have the same outcome. If I was to do this at my house, it would end up with tears all around, I am sure. On a maybe a bit of a side note, but uh, one day the children were fighting and yelling and it was getting louder and they were not listening to my, uh, my uh, cries or uh, discerning uh, talks. Uh, and so they didn't listen. So with no avail, I made a, a loud pew sound uh, and they turned in silence. I thought, oh, I am a genius. It worked. <laughs> For about five seconds, there was silence and then... Then became all the tears, and all of them started crying, even the one that was not yelling it to begin with. And so we see, need to understand that when we speak of wisdom, wisdom is not knowledge. Wisdom is able to be able to take and apply knowledge to specific situations. You see, even in this, uh, in the book of Proverbs, right in Proverbs chapter twenty-six. You see, in verse 4, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. And then, in verse 5, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So which is it? Are we meant to answer a fool or not answer a fool? Or, in uh, Proverbs seventeen twenty three. The wicked accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the ways of justice. Well, what does he say in verse Proverbs 21, verse 14? A gift in secret averts anger, and a concealed bribe, strong wrath. So here, which is it? 
And again, this is what we need to understand, that that Solomon's wisdom is not merely that he understands things, but he's able to be able to take this understanding and apply it to life. That when we talk about wisdom, wisdom is being able to understand uh, the right thing to do at the right time. Not just to be able to put it into a computer program, but to be able to understand the right thing to do at the right time. That the action here that Solomon does is wise because it carries out the outcome which was sought after, justice. And that's what makes it wise because Solomon is the one who, who is able to be able to read the situation and be able to get the outcome. It's not wise to be able to say, well, let's just cut it in two. It's wise because this wisdom applied to life carried out the right outcome. So we see that here, when we talk about God's wisdom, it's being able to listen to God's word and then to apply God's word to the life and situation that we find ourselves in. But we also see here that the main purpose of this story is not for us to be able to sit around saying, look how wise Solomon is. We need to understand where this wisdom came from in the first place. That this wisdom at the start of the chapter was not there. That that God said, I will give you wisdom. And here's the case study that we see of God's giving him this answer. As we see in chapter 10, that God gave him these riches and this wisdom. We see it here in chapter 3 very clearly. And we even see this is what the outcome was. And all of Israel heard of the judgment of the king had rendered. And they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. So again here, the wisdom of God, they will understand that he was wise, but why was he wise? Because he had the listening heart to understand God and particularly God's justice. Now I think one really important part of this story that we often maybe miss over is when we consider justice and, and justice in the sense of a kingdom... That here, all of this was heard by all of Israel. That here you have a mother whose child was taken from her, and now the mother gets the child back. That here you have someone who is lowly in society, and the ESV translates it prostitutes. Not because the word used there is prostitutes. It's Isha, a woman. But maybe because they're living in, in two houses in the same house. But here we have, these women have no name. They're nameless in society. They're not living in, in the same house because, you know, this is, the, this is what rich people do. They live in the same house because they're poor. They're low in society. In, in this society, they would be nobodies. But yet, what we see is they come to the king They stand before the king, the king listens to them, and the king administers justice to them. And I think that's very important when we think about the kingdom of Solomon. Not just the wisdom of the decision, we can focus on the wisdom, but specifically who that wisdom was administered to and how justice was carried out in his kingdom because of this wisdom that God had given to him. Here the least in the kingdom have justice given to them. And I think this is often a marker of society that you want to see the the health of of what is justice like in a society. 
It's not merely that justice exists in some form or, or length, but justice exists and is given to those who are least in society. Not merely just justice to some, but justice to all. Particularly, I think there's a marker of what we see in God's kingdom. With all the laws and regulations, we see this um, clearly that the pure religion is, is given to the fatherless and the widow. You see this throughout the Bible in Psalm 82. Give justice to the weak and to the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and to the desolate, destitute. Isaiah 1, 17, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. This is exactly what is told of the Pharisees they did not do. Woe to you, you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and you rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting these, the others. Here, Jesus says, what is wrong with the society that, that he sees as the Pharisees are focused more on their herb garden than the people in the streets that are begging? Leviticus 19, a famous chapter of where we get the, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But he says, in verse 15, you shall do, do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor, defer to be great. But in righteousness shall your judge be your neighbor. That here we see this is how Solomon carries out the second greatest commandment, you might say, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as himself. And here's Solomon, this wise man with riches and honor that will outnumber all these things. He seeks to administer justice to this one lady, this mother. To love the neighbor as yourself. And I think then this seeks, the, see the impacts of this, this king and the actions of the king flow through and have great difference to his subjects. Because the people of Israel are able to see this judgment and they stood in awe of the king because they had perceived the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. You might then say in Matthew 633, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Actually, the same, the translation could actually read, but seek first the kingdom of God and his justice, and all these things will be added to you. In the uh, Septuagint translation, the, the same Greek word there is used of righteousness is the exact same word used here in 1 Kings chapter 3. This is actually something that was marked by David's kingdom as well. David reigned over all of Israel, and David administered justice and equity to all of his people. And this is exactly what Solomon prayed for. Give your servant, therefore, understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? And I think it's, it's such an important thing for us to be able to consider as we think of Solomon and his reign and his uh, wisdom that is applied that flows through even the least in society. Now, I think you, you could clearly see the connections there of Christ and his kingdom. How is he, he is the one who administers justice to all. Think even of all the Beatitudes 
and how you see this justice administered to the least. Think about how he deals with children. But now let's maybe shift not from Christ, but the kingdom model that we see. That as you reflect on the king, you reflect on the king's rules and his way, then the people then follow in that way. That his people should be known for justice. The true justice is that of those in society who are often overlooked. Is what James says, that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction, to keep yourself unstained from the world. Think about that. We'll see this as we can look at the short little series on deacons, but that's what the deacons do. When the church gets to Acts chapter 6, they're looking at the daily distribution and and there's this problem that is brought forward and the, the apostles don't say, well, let's just stop the daily distribution. Let's just focus on the word. What they actually say is, well, daily distribution is, is important. The church needs to keep on doing this, but we as apostles are still called to be able to do the ministry of word and prayer. So they, they say, well, let's establish deacons who are able to be able to carry out these acts of mercy to these widows that the church can do both the word and prayer and also ministry of mercy. And I think you see the impacts of this in Christianity throughout all of, and not even just in the book of Acts, but I think you see it throughout all of history. And without sounding political, a lot of these things have been taken over by the government. But you think about how all of these things started. Often they were Christians who saw needs of the least in society, and gave their means and their abilities, their resources to be able to further those things, to be able to help those less fortunate in society. You think about orphanages, hospitals, schools, homeless shelters, food banks, prison outreach, community groups, such as Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts. All of these things were Christian organizations that started because Christians saw need within those least in society. And of course, people then point out slavery and say, well, Christians, you had it wrong about slavery. However, I think if you actually look back, I think it's more accurate to be able to say, yes, some Christians had it wrong about slavery. But one thing that they, I think they miss out on is why slavery ended was really about abolitionists who were actually Christians that what they actually think is the philosophers and things might have brought up some of these ideas and concepts and, and asked them, but it was really Christians who then fought the fight to be able to end slavery. There's many Enlightenment philosophers, but it's really because of Christians and their religious beliefs that they felt motivated to be able to take this and abolish slavery particularly, I think, mainly from non-traditional Christian faith groups and non-conforming members to established churches. But you see this in Europe and also in in the United States. And I think you see that that's the the reflection of of, uh, Christ and his subjects start to act like Christ is king. And and, and as he rules, he, he changes his subjects to be able to do this. 
So we think that what we see in chapter 3 is not merely that Solomon gets wisdom, but this wisdom is given that he might then reflect God's purposes in his kingdom. And in this case, it's God's purposes of justice. We'll see God's purposes of, of worship. We'll see God's purposes of, of others in uh, coming to be able to hear and see of missions, you might say. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.